Hello, friends and folks, and welcome back to Scanline Media's Playlist Podcast, where we talk about what we've been up to in the world of video games. I'm Six Detmar. And I'm Jennifer Uncle. And I'm Kyrie Page. And we've all been uh, spending a lot of time indoors, spending a lot of time in front of screens. The lockdown and... continues. Yeah, you drive me crazy, as they say. Um... And so I feel like we we should have a lot to talk about as far as the game front. I may I may be setting myself up for like a real a real pratfall when it turns out like oh no I've just played a bunch of Animal Crossing. But uh, I don't like like how how have people's how have video games been treating people? Have they been an effective solve salve? Excuse me to your your circumstances. A little. I think that uh, one th- one problem I've been having is that I kind of bounce from game to game without necessarily finishing them or even sticking with them like it's that's been a problem with me for a while but especially right now i find i'm finding it difficult to focus on things in the last few weeks i've been getting a little bit better at it and i've actually finished some games but uh yeah it's still pr- it within this situation it's been pretty difficult for me to hunker down and focus on one or two things at a time and I have the opposite Fair. problem, where I just played a bunch of Final Fantasy XIV. <laughs> okay, so you'll be useless on this podcast. Yeah, um, great. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to just go, then... <laughs> <Yeah>, well... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't... Yeah, I guess... I didn't I guess I'm in the middle ground. No, you're good. Please stay. I was teasing. Um... Yeah, no, I guess I'm in the middle ground where I have I have played a number of games, but I also have had have done a, an overall decent job of of sticking with things. I guess I've played enough to talk about a lot of things. Um, I don't know. Where do you want to start? What kind of what what does anybody have anything they really wanna they want to open with a really like fascinating uh game they wanna they want to get into. <clears throat> I thought Cloudpunk, um, I've been playing some Cloudpunk and I thought that that was pretty interesting. Like, uh, I know that people are pretty, or at least our group, our, our immediate friend group and just us in general, we're not too psyched for the Cyberpunk 2077 game or whatever the year is, um, coming out from CD Projekt Red later this year. And, Mm -hmm. uh, I ended up picking up a different cyberpunk game called cloudpunk which is basically like you know all those sci-fi movies where they're driving hover cars in between skyscrapers and in cities it's that but as a game like you're it's semi-open world but it's almost the open world exists almost entirely to ferry you from one story mission to the next and uh you're basically this delivery driver um starting her first night in a gigantic city named Navalis, which is basically built up vertically to a gigantic height. You never see the sun or the sky. It's just constant um, darkness and rain. And uh, you're delivering packages for this group called Cloudpunk that is kind of a... It's a questionably legal uh, package delivery service. And along the way, you're meeting a bunch of people, hearing their stories, and occasionally making choices that will have ramifications. Okay, okay. So, from from the things I've heard about this game, it seems like um, the buzz around it has been that it has, like, it's it's been an enjoyable vibe 
like the the tone and everything of the game are enjoyable and it's a nice thing to be in but like when you sort of like put a put a microscope lens on it it stumbles a lot you could say that yeah like it's trying some ambitious things with the story um and overall i i liked the general writing between characters and stuff like that but uh there is a point like near the end of the game where it asks you to make a choice that will decide like the fate of the city and it's like i've only been here for one night and none of the choices that i've been making in that time have been on the same scale or anything like that so this seems a bit sudden and also it doesn't really matter in the end because you're still playing either way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i've specifically heard some concerns about like the way they represent like different cultures and stuff in the in the game but yeah, you, you do play this, uh, yeah, your main character, uh, Rania, uh, is basically, she comes from the Eastern Peninsula, which is basically the game's version of the Middle East region, and, uh, it does try to get into things like, uh, you meet this music producer, and he basically acts in a very, um, rude, culturally appropriative way, like, oh, the design on your scarf is real cool. Mind if I use it in my music video? And it's like, she basically has to be like, I kind of hate you and what you're doing, but I also need to pay rent because the city is hell, so here's an extra, here's an extra thing that I have for you that you can just take. And you also get one or two people who make casually offhand racist remarks that, usually factor into whether you still deal with them or whether you ditch them. I see. I see. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, it's, I guess the, like the way the things I've heard about it have made me be like, I'm glad this thing exists, but I, I think I'm, I'm comfortable staying away myself. That's fair for sure. It's definitely not, uh, it definitely doesn't seem like it's for everyone, especially the way that, I think the humor's pretty hit or miss, but the humor landed for me mostly just because having a uh, detective robot that got stuck speaking, monologuing like a noir narration, but out loud just because he played the role for a little bit and he was such an old android that he got stuck within it and his name's Huxley. That's like, oh, okay, that's pretty funny. Uh, Kyrie, do you have anything to talk about besides Final Fantasy XIV, or should we just get into Final Fantasy XIV? I actually do have something else to talk about. Um, two things. I, we, we will talk about Final Fantasy XIV. It's just that when we have that conversation, all three of us play that, so that yeah. seems like a bigger talk. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I picked so last playlist. Um, I gave a pretty glowing review of XCOM Two. And once you know it, in the intervening month, or however long it's been since we recorded that last podcast, a new XCOM thing has come out called uh, XCOM Chimera Squad. Um, and it's interesting. I don't know if I'd like it, but I kind of do, but I also kind of don't. <laughs> um, the basic premise of XCOM Chimera Squad is the idea is it's 10 to 15 years after the events of XCOM 2, where it's assumed that the humans won against the war against the aliens. And um, there's a city called um, City 31 that is host host to humans, aliens, and human-alien hybrids. Like, the hybrids being a result of, like, the genetic testing that was going on by the alien side in XCOM 2. 
um doesn't really matter it's just it's a third faction basically um mm-hmm. and you lead basically the super cops uh hell yeah loved crack down on the minorities yep <laughs> cracking down on crime as a group of diverse humans hybrids and aliens um going on missions making like the dial making really bad dialogue choices <clears throat> you don't make the dialogue you don't make the dialogue choices it's just the dialogue is pretty rough well, okay, so here's something I want to, like, I, I will, of course, let you continue, but I am really so curious because this is, this is a game that is, like, you're playing as the super cops, like, SWAT force, and you're salt, and you're in a world that's post, like, like, aliens invaded, but now aliens are just part of the culture, and so there are two layers to this. One is, like, ooh, how do we deal with the, these, like, this new minority population, and also your squad consists almost entirely of aliens, right? There's a couple humans, like, the initial squad is a, remember off the top of my head, um, a black woman named Godmother, um, that's her code name, there's Mm -hmm. a human technician lady who is, um, part of your team, you have a hybrid, alien hybrid, uh, named Cherub, who is, um, he's a shield user, um, and you just get a bunch of different characters. Eventually, like, different characters get added to your squad and you make choices as to which one you add. So you can kind of choose if you want to have, like, a squad of, like, all aliens or all humans or whatever. And um, each individual unit has a unique set of abilities. But how interested is this game in the fact that you are a group of minorities leveraging the power of the state against minorities? Oh, it's not interested in talking about that at all. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's like, cool. it's not that deep. All right. Um, it's like, I compared it to, like, I the show NCIS on some level. Of, okay. like, it's just a bunch of super cops doing super cop things and making everybody's like a, just a little too snarky for my taste. Mm. Um, there is actually one actually pretty funny moment though. So there is a snake lady named Torque who joins your team. Um, and when she, if you can actually choose whether or not she joins the team or not. And if you have her join the team, your comms officer, uh, whisper, like, basically says oh hey torque it's you and um torque says like oh did you get that lobotomy yet and it's like excuse me (laughs) and they have very angry x energy for each other like very clearly pissed like something happened in the past and they're clearly pissed off at each other but due the work circumstances they still have to work together Hmm. which in any real squad it would just be okay one of you has to leave (laughs) but In this hyper real, you know, hyper fantastical setting, you know, it's there for juicy drama. It's just mm-hmm. the kind of attitude we need to run this group. Yep. Um. But besides, so I'm ranking a little bit on the story because that's kind of it's kind of focused on that, but it's also focused on a new way to play XCOM. So. XCOM 2 is um, 
very traditional. It's very, you have your group, of, you have your units and you take your turn and then the aliens take their turn, right? Um, mm-hmm. Chimera Squad uh, mixes it up by having a timeline. So if you've ever played Final Fantasy X, you know how, or a lot of JRPGs do this, where on the right side of the screen, there's a timeline of who goes when. Um, and you can see who exactly is going and taking their turn. Um, that's what Chimera Squad does, is that instead of you moving all your units and taking your action, it's usually you get a unit to move and then your opponent, the opponent uh, faction gets a unit to move and it goes back and forth. Um, there are different abilities that you can use to uh, modify a unit's place in the timeline to either hold them back or like push them forward. Um, but most of the time it's pretty much like the turns pass back and forth. Um, mm-hmm. So it adds to it. It's an interesting, it's an interesting pace. It's like, I, I think of it as like, it's XCOM two, but it's taking a little bit of the mental load off of the player of like thinking it's like, Oh, what, because one of the decisions you have to make when playing XCOM 2 is what is the ideal order in which I move my units and have them attack and move and that sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. When you have a timeline, mm-hmm. that decision is kind of taken away from you. And so you kind of have to just work with what you got. Um, and working with what you got is kind of like the like the mechanical theme of the game, it seems, where... Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have tons of choices, but you do have choices to make with the options you have available to you, if that makes sense. Sure, sure. It, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Another thing they added is, like, at the beginning of each mission and at certain points during the mission, a breach happens. So this is where the aesthetic of being super cops comes in. Um, so you can enter into a... You can enter into a space by, you know, kicking down the door, putting in a breach charge, or using a special ID card to get past security locks, which are items that you have to purchase beforehand. Um, a breach charge is, like, a certain number of credits, and you have to equip it to a character in order for that character to be able to use it. Mm-hmm. But what happens is you essentially um, create a breach order, and you get a free turn on the um, opposing force and it, they kick down the door and it slows down time. And it's actually really cool. Um, They bring the camera in really tight behind the back of the one who's shooting and you still make a decision. um, You don't make a decision in real time. You still, it's still turn-based, but um, the opposing faction has things like, uh, tags like surprised or at, uh, aggressive or um, confused and that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And you use those tags to determine like, okay, if there's an aggressive muton, I should probably take them out first because an aggressive unit um, during the breach action, if they are not dead by the end of like your team's breach action, they get a free shot on you. So sort of determining how they're reacting to the breach. Like some people will sort of freeze up. Some people will immediately start shooting in a direction. Some people will scramble for cover, that kind of thing. Absolutely, yeah. And then um, 
once the breach is done, your four units, and it's always four, um, get into position, and um, then you could do the timeline taking turns, uh, traditional like XCOM like thing happens mm-hmm. there. And I guess like so, I picked it up for ten bucks, and I feel like, and it recently its price increased to twenty. I honestly felt like ten bucks was the perfect amount <laughs> that is worth spending on this type of game because it's very clearly an experiment like they're experimenting with gameplay systems that they wouldn't want to necessarily put into a full full on XCOM 3 but it's clear that they're trying to shake up the formula a little bit and go for something new and it doesn't always work but I appreciate what they're going for like Uh I don't like everything that it does but since it wasn't like a full price thing i can kind of forgive it a little bit more if that makes sense sure i think that makes sense to me like you know if this was a full 60 dollar you know xcom 3 i'd be pissed as hell <laughs> because they changed so much and it doesn't necessarily feel right but as a spin-off title yeah sure you could do worse and it like works because Sometimes I just want to play a light game of XCOM 2. Um, mm-hmm. But those missions are very involved. Like some missions could take upwards of like 20 minutes to half hour. Whereas a mission in Chimera Squad lasts about 10 minutes. So it's a lot snappier. Yeah, it's not just a shorter, it's not just like a, a smaller scale game, but it's also designed for like smaller gameplay sessions, you think? Yeah, it's kind of designed for you to kind of go in, play for an hour. And then, like, kind of be done with it for a little bit. Um, mm. There is a also, like, a city macro management game that happens. Um, but it's, like, it's it's an interesting take on, like, what you could do. You are, you know, trying to keep the peace. And there are certain, like, cities that you have to take actions in. Um Otherwise, like, uh, civil unrest will happen because that's, like, this game's, you know, avatar project or whatever is mm-hmm. uh, civil unrest. Um, so, you know, take that for what you will. <laughs> also, there is one thing that's actually kind of neat that I like is that in between missions, you will hear a newscast, uh, like, from a local news station uh, you know, apprising you of like what the city situation is like. And it's like, that's a neat little touch. Like they didn't have to go there, but I appreciate that they did go there. Hmm. Yeah, it, it is like, it sounds cool. And I, I have, I actually have it myself and I'm looking forward to playing it. Um, it is a little bit of a bummer to me that, um, I mean, it, you know, on the one hand, maybe this is a double standard where like, you know, people, if you, if this, you know, XCOM, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't beating down the door of like, yeah, but like, is it bad to fight alien invaders, right? Like, mm-hmm. I wasn't trying to get them. But when you deal with the idea of like police, especially the idea of like heavily militarized police, I really feel like you have an obligation to talk about the role of police in the community and how like they're their like their groupthink and their aggressive behaviors can be destructive. 
Yeah, and maybe the game goes there. I'm not too deep into it. Um, I've only done the first couple of missions, but you're right. Anything that, um, like, I know when it came out, Jen made a comparison to, like, you know, the new Ghost in the Shell had just come out. and mm, That's not a flattering comparison. It's not a flattering comparison, yes. But, like, <laughs> Ghost in the Shell, we talked about this more on the, um, is it, you know, Oops All Anime episode, but, like, you know, what's Section 9's relationship to, you know, the city and its obligations and um, militarized police forces in that regard. Whereas so Chimera Squad takes a much more laissez-faire, uh, like, attitude towards it, and that can be to its detriment, I think, because there yeah. is an interesting conversation to be had. Yeah. Okay. But it's okay. That's- like I yeah. said, it's it's perfectly acceptable. Fair enough. Um, well, while you two have been playing new games, I've been playing old games, <laughs> but not like, but not like in a way where you can be like, oh yeah, I've been getting retro. I've been playing Final Fantasy fifteen. <laughs> really? Uh huh. How's that been treating you? So I like it. Um, it's such an interesting game. It's it's. The, I I don't think I've ever seen a game that feels so much like walking through a disastrous development. Well, I mean, the game started as Final Fantasy Thirteen Verses. Mm-hmm. Like I remember, I was in high school when Final Fantasy Thirteen Verses like trailer was announced, and it only came out like what two three years ago. I might have before at this part point. It was it was actually a while ago, but um, it did take a very long time to come out, and it just it it both like in just obvious like visual elements, but even in like the like the themes, it bears the scars of that process. Um, how do you mean? Where, hmm? like, how do you mean bears the scars of that process? Well, okay, so here's a really simple example, right? Okay. Um. When you are in the big story locations, I mean you've you've seen you've seen art of of Noctis, Kalis, Luke, Luketum. My favorite Tekken Seven whatever. character <laughs> of Noctis. <laughs> um, you know what he looks like? He looks like Sasuke. Yes. He he has like the he has like the spiky hair. He has like the like the black shirt with like subtle black lace embroidery. He looks so fancy, right? And he and he and his friends drive like a transforming, flying, like slick black convertible, right? And when you're in a cat like Crown City, it's like okay, everyone else is dressed like you and and seems like they're from the same thing, but you head out into the spaces in between. And it's just like a dude in suspenders saying, well, howdy, y'all. And it's like, where the fuck am I? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I remember seeing, like, the NPCs, like, dressed in, like, shirts and jeans. And, like, it felt like it's so bizarre. Like, the outfits that the NPCs wear do not, like, evoke the setting that you're in. Yeah. And then and you have Sydney, who is a whole thing. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, that one's been litigated. Uh, maybe I'll get into it a little bit here. There's not, they sexualize Sydney a lot 
in a way that's dumb. Also, they just name her Cindy in English, which is like they've entirely missed the point of that name. It's just like it's supposed to be a classic Final Fantasy reference. They're dipshits. Um, but anyway, that doesn't really matter. Um, the sexualization does, but not the name thing. Um, and the game tries to sort of make it about this, where it's about like, oh, here's this sheltered prince, like learning what the outside world is like. Except for no, like they set that up and like his attitude changes but none of the visual metaphors ever express this change like it's not like he you know you do get like dirt on the car but like then you go to a a place and you clean it and then it like it you get like you know a rocket engine and like unfoldable wings it's not like you there's not a point where you're like okay what if like the car breaks down and and we have to retool it and now it doesn't look as fancy and noctis starts dressing and like like a plaid shirt and it's just like you know maybe stops putting so much goddamn gel in his hair it's never <laughs> to a point where these characters they they make lip service to the idea that they are learning what the outside world is like but it never affects their lifestyle and every time it's like okay let's go camping they go and then they pull out like a shitload of like expressly coleman branded like camping gear and have the nicest camping trip you've ever seen yeah, like, from what I've seen of that game, the only significant uh, visual change is at some point Noctis grows a beard. Uh, yes, he does at the at the end of the... G- I won't get into story spoilers, but stuff happens with there's a time jump. Um, and it's just, it's just so strange because it really does feel like... Um, you can see where this game was the game that Tetsuya Nomura was making and was clearly never going to finish. And then another d- director and to a certain extent, another pars- part of a team came in and just made a different game to fill in the gaps. Do you think that different it- game was the um, stuff with the road trip and camping and stuff like that? Or do you think it was the big city events? Um, I think it was mostly the road trips. I mean, I think the road trip was part of the vision, but I don't think it was like this at all. I mean, and this even goes down to, like, the combat is full of, like, design band-aids, essentially, right? Like, um, so here's the thing, Kyrie. Uh, maybe this will come up, maybe, maybe another 20 hours into the game I'll get this. Mm-hmm. So far, I don't have any healing magic. What? I don't have any healing magic. I have some potions I can use, but the only spells I can cast are like fire, bolt, and ice. And the way I cast them is by going to like spots on the ground, like Final Fantasy VIII draw points and siphoning elemental energy off. And then when I cast them, they're gone. And so you just don't use magic much. Um, Which is very annoying because they do still have enemies like the Flans, which basically don't take damage from your weapons. And I had a, I had a, like a, a quest to kill a bunch of flans, and that fight took a million years because I cast my two spells, and then I was just out of spells for that entire fight. And it sounds like it's not quite like a situation in which one of your party members is a spellcaster. No, it's just no. that everybody's just a rough and tumble rough boy. Yeah, um, and so that fight just took way too long. Um, but like, so there, you don't have. Um, the ability to like to cast healing spells your mp does recover honestly pretty quickly but it's mostly used for your warp strike which is where you throw your weapon into them and then teleport to your weapon which you do constantly 
And then they use, this is the part where I really feel, think it feels like a Band-Aid. They have um, a thing which are, I don't, I don't know the technical term. I'm going to call them warp, warp strike vantage points, right? Mm-hmm. So let's say you're fighting and there's a water tower, right? You're fighting, you're fighting a bunch of enemies and there's a water tower nearby. What the game will do is the game will say, oh, hey, if you hold down triangle, you will warp strike to the top of the water tower. Your, so- your sword will be stuck into the side of the water tower and you will dangle there and you can't do anything. But while you're dangling there, your MP will recover faster and with an early upgrade, your HP will recover faster. So it's this weird, like, like. Uh, third-person shooter-like cover idea, but instead of taking cover, though you can actually also take cover, and it has a similar effect, but the mechanics of that are really janky, what you end up doing is just like, oh, the fight's getting a little bit hard, let me just throw my sword to the top of this cliff, and then just dangle from a cliff for about ten seconds, and then, okay, I'm good, let me head back. (laughs) Oh, that sounds great. (laughs) It's very strange. It's very, very strange. Um, Yeah, it seems like the when when I was watching Jen play the Final Fantasy VII remake, it looked like that the Final Fantasy VII remake's combat is like evolved from Final Fantasy XV's combat, but like absolutely, m- but it's much more well realized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely think that's the case. Um, one of the things they do that's just a just a strange choice, and I think it stems from you know like the original original Final Fantasy versus thirteen pitch video where it was like here's noctis and he's got 70 swords right he's got a million weapons um noctis can equip any weapon um but his teammates can only equip their specific weapon right and so he's just better at everything than they are and they don't like they're useful because they can kind of set you up they have skills where like oh gladio has like tempest and you tell him like gladio like you fill up your skill meter and you say gladio now and he does like a spin attack and then you can hit a button to jump in and combo with him and it does good damage but like mostly it's like okay you guys your warm bodies keep them busy while i warp to the top of this fucking cell phone tower to get my mana back uh what a bizarre choice it's very, very strange. And then, like, the, the open world is, like, you go around and you gather ingredients. And, and, like, so, like, you're running through the fields and it feels very, like, I, I, for me, the touchstone is, like, Oblivion. I know for more people it'll be Skyrim. I didn't play as much as Skyrim because I, I think Oblivion's a better game, even though they're both bad. Um, <laughs> uh, but, like, you're running through the fields as this, like, you know, like, like, prince this like stuck up like prince where at least even early in the game especially early in the game it's like this kid is so sheltered this is literally his first time leaving like the throne city and being places where people aren't constantly calling him prince um or your majesty or whatever um and he's like oh check it out there are some potatoes and he runs over and just starts pulling potatoes out of the ground (laughs) um you know like you would gather herbs in oblivion um and, like, you can go, like, mining so you can get, like, redstone ore, which can be used to paint your car a different color. And it just feels very, very strange. It, it, is, it is absolutely a tale of two directors. And I commend them getting it out the door. And I think it's a, I think it's a good game. But I don't think it's a great game. And I think it's an extremely bizarre game. If nothing else, it sounds 
fascinating to be the outside looking in and just trying to discover what exactly went wrong or you know what what happened with this game because it's like I'm still waiting on the postmortem on Final Fantasy 15 because it's it's legacy is that of a like very strange very broken game Mm -hmm. like it came out and it wasn't complete and then the royal edition came out and it still had dlc missing and then eventually pieces of dlc got canceled um like the final pieces of dlc i believe for this game got canceled yeah and and the two pieces of dlc that were announced that got canceled were the two that gave the female characters who have nothing to do in this game something to do which that's unfortunate yeah, the ones that got made were the four for your or the yeah the ones for your party members, the boys, and then the one for the main antagonist, and uh, yeah, the one for Luna Freya, who is like the the uh, a spoiler warning, I guess. I mean, I haven't even gotten there in the game, and I know this, the fridged wife. Um, and then there's one for a character who's really sick at one point you briefly meet up with like a lady dragoon and she's just cool as hell she's just a professional soldier and they were gonna flesh her out and it's like oh no no not doing that now damn it really is like tetsuya nomura worked on this game at one point right (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah no the, the women have nothing to do it's weird isn't it um it's and like one of the things i will respond to is when this game first came out like there were there were definitely criticisms of the of the way female characters have a have a role in this game and i i think that is like really like a a, a fair criticism but one of the criticisms that is made along those lines is like and your party member is like the four boys on their fucking road trip and how come there are no lady party members right well i mean Um, it is a it is the it's supposed to be a road trip with the boys like right and i mean like i think you could have a female character in there but it would change the dynamic significantly because the game is extremely about these four dipshits um like you have noctis who's like a spoiled sheltered brat you have uh gladio who's like who's who's you know like fucking like meme image he's the truck freak right a truck freak Um, his way into cup noodle yeah, well, everyone's way into Cup Noodle. That's just... That's <laughs> just Final Fantasy fifteen in a nutshell. It's um, Cup Noodle. And then Prompto's, like, your over-eager, like, nerdy friend who just gets excited about everything. Like, he's he's the kind of person who, like, you drive by a rest area and you get half mile past and he's like, wait, that rest area said they had horses. And you're like, Prompto, we can't... He's like, let's go back to that rest stop. And you're like, Prompto, I'm gonna <laughs> kill you. Prompto buddy, now's not the time. <laughs> and then there's Ignis, who is just along to basically sigh a lot, which is great because he fits in perfectly because he's like he's like your childhood friend Butler. And he is a fantastic character because he's the one who cooks. He's the one who has these great like uh he'll you know you'll pick up random ingredients and stuff and he'll say like oh i've got an idea for a new recipe but also sometimes like that that line is used in ways where you're like you go and you go to a restaurant and you're like hey i'd like some toast and you eat a piece of toast and you go he snaps his fingers and is like knocked you're not gonna believe i just got an idea for a new recipe what if i made toast and you're like thanks <laughs> <I missed." laughs> uh 
He's fantastic. Um, I also really like the choice, and they actually walked this back with patches, and I think it was it was cowardly of them. In in the when the game first came out, and you can choose to go this way. Um, it's an open world where you drive around with your car, and you can get out of the car and, and go around, but you don't drive. Ignis drives, and so you tell you say where you want to go, and then he chauffeurs you. Um, and you can and you can be like, oh shit, no, never pull over or like whatever as you go. Um, and then later they, and then like quickly they patched in the ability to just drive yourself. But I really liked that choice. I'm pretty sure that the, like when I played it initially, there was an option to eventually drive myself. Like, uh, and I played it, I didn't finish it, but I played it near launch. It was a situation hmm. where eventually they were like, oh, okay, I guess you can drive too. Okay, maybe it wasn't added. Maybe it wasn't a patch. Maybe I'm mistaken there. But I think those early parts of the game where you are not able to drive yourself is a really good choice, and I admire the hell out of it. Yeah, it's something they did patch in, which was a bad idea, um, is, uh, like, the whole thing with Prompto is that he's also your, um, he's also, like, a photojournalist for you. He's just constantly taking photos of of what's been happening through the day, and... Occasionally, there'll be nice-looking Vista shots. Occasionally, there'll be a silly selfie. Occasionally, it'll just be like, where the fuck were you pointing your camera during this time? Because this looks awful. But, uh... Yeah. And I, I do love that it's just like they have, like, like as you, every time you rest, it shows you the photos he's taken in the meantime. And, you know, sometimes you get some really cool shots. Like, there's stuff that happens that's scripted to happen. But there's also stuff like, oh, you caught me, like, doing a teleport strike on this enemy, and that looks cool. But also, you'll get shots where it's like... This is an extreme close-up on a goblin's arm, and it's really blurry. And then, and then Claudia goes, "Oh, that was a nice one." And you're like, mm. <laughs> "Yeah." And eventually, they patched in a real photo mode to it too. And it's like, I'd rather not mess with this. I'd rather just like, I'd rather just let this AI idiot uh, occasionally take amazing photos, and other times take the worst photos imaginable. Mm-hmm. In terms of, uh, well, did you have anything else you wanted to say about this one? No, I think I'm, I think I'm good. You know, I'm going to keep playing it, um, here and there. Um, but I do, I do very much think that you, it's, it's a game that you can see how Final Fantasy VII Remake is the combat system they wanted to get to and just, just tripped over themselves too much to reach. For sure. Before we dived into, uh, the Final Fantasy fourteen talk, I also just wanted to mention that I finished uh, Yakuza Kiwami. Uh, I took like a year off after I um, played through the entirety of uh, Yakuza 0. And uh, it's it's basically... Yakuza Kiwami is basically a remake of the early 2000s PS2 Yakuza 1. Um, they've made a bunch of changes to the... Well, they've inserted a lot of cutscenes into the game to make it fit more closely with Yakuza 0, specifically. I think someone on that creative team realized, oh, the main villain in Yakuza 1 is fucking terrible and kind of comes in at the last minute and no one cares about him. What if we put a lot of stuff focusing on Nishiki since uh, his whole thing with you in 0 is very good? Like... Him being something of a fuck-up who also has your back and the two of you are very grew up together and have this strong emotional tie. What if we got into how he became the way he is in Kiwami? And, like, even on the box art and 
in the first few seconds of the intro, we have an eventual showdown with him. Mm-hmm. And I think in large part, that's, um, I, I also played through Kiwami. I think that's, um, interested, like, partially because you did see so much of, of Nishikiyama in, uh, Yakuza 0, and, like, of course, you know, it makes sense to flesh out the character more, but also, you just can't, like, um, it's hard to buy this character having this, like, this hard, hard heel turn without any any context because he was such a good dude in Zero. Yeah, basically the way that it happens is that uh, you the thing that locks uh, Kiryu away and also for 10 years and also sets Nishiki down this path is that uh, he, your former boss um, ended up doing something terrible to your childhood friend and his sister and he ends up killing him and you take the fall for it just because you don't want anything bad to happen to Nishiki and you want him to protect Yumi. But uh, in doing that, he gets Nishiki gets put in a role where he was never a good fit to begin with, like even before the killing happened. And because he's in a position where he's someone who's easily taken advantage of um, and also has killed someone before, when he finally gets pushed too hard, it becomes much, much easier the second time, and it's just a spiral from there. Mm-hmm. I, I, I also really like, I mean, it's one of the things, like, that really kind of broke my heart, is seeing the way people reacted, because obviously, you know, Kirio goes to jail for, for killing his boss, and of course people are like, oh, how could you, Right. But over the course of those added cutscenes in, in Kiwami, you see gradually people be like, man, that Kiryu, I can't believe he'd kill his boss like that. And there's a, and sort of a beat and they're like, but you gotta respect that he had the guts to do it. Yeah, like our boss. <laughs> yeah, it's something they comment on where it's like, oh, you know what? I think people actually like him more, more than now that he killed his boss. <laughs> and Nishiki's just looking at the, all this happening, being like, no matter what I do, Kiryu just gets top billing. This sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, the there's something about the general storyline of uh, Yakuza Kiwami outside of those moments that's just kind of I don't know. It feels very haphazard in a way. Like uh, apparently Majima in the original only showed up like two or three times, but now since he's a character favorite and because of the games that came out afterward. Um, they had to find a way to get him in there more often to the point where you'll have a serious scene with him and then five minutes later he'll pop out of a traffic cone and be like, ah, I got you. <laughs> and Gotcha, Kiryu-chan. <laughs> yeah, and there are some fun moments with the ways that he shows up sometimes. Like, uh, there's this great bit where he dresses up like a police officer and he's like, well, if you have a weapon, something really bad will happen to you. And you have to, if you want that Majima Everywhere system to advance, you have to get caught with a weapon. So there's almost like this fun thing of like, oh, okay. Uh, of Kiryu being like, oh, okay, I guess I'll buy a weapon and walk nearby in Majima. So he um, gets what he wants and we can have a fight together. <laughs> mm-hmm. And moments like that are pretty good. It's just, that whole system feels very 
underbaked, which is weird because they spent a lot of time up to the leading up to the release of this game marketing how he'd be everywhere. Yeah, I think a large I think in large part it's like a reaction to like them they you know, I, I think there's they were like, Oh, we should make Majima more of a character in this game because he's a series staple and a fan favorite. Um, and then also they started remaking this game and they're like, wow, this game's kind of a mess. We need to give people more stuff to do. (laughs) Yeah. And judging from my completion rate, when I finished, like, um, it said that I had completed 19% of the game when I rolled the credits. It seems like they did add a ton of stuff. It just, it just not, it's just not surfaced very well. And also I was at the point where. The main plot wasn't doing it for me, so I kind of wanted to rush through it so I could eventually get to Kiwami 2, which people say is way better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kiwami 2 is a good game. Um, I do think the series as a whole, like the first game, was very much them like finding their footing. And Kiwami is an improvement, but the, st- the writing is the writing, you know? Totally. Like, it's something they read... It's something they had to address, I guess, when they set out to remake this. Like, okay, either we, either we rewrite the whole thing, or we add little patches or improvements to it around the edges uh, by giving more time to these side characters. Mm-hmm. And from what people have told me who have played the original PS2 one, a lot of those cutscenes are just shot for shot the same, same dialogue and everything. So. It mm-hmm. seems like they definitely opted for, okay, we're going to keep most of this the same. We're just going to add stuff to it. Yeah, that was definitely the approach. Yeah. Let's talk about everybody's favorite Final Fantasy. We're going to step one back. This time. We're, yep, we're going to step one back and twice as much as seven. Yeah, no, we're, 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 we're going to the like numerically inferior game. <laughs> uh, though actually i guess this is kind of final fantasy 14 2 which would be like 28 that's really bad math um <laughs> so kyrie um yes. you are one of a number of uh of souls here who have taken advantage of this quarantine to get way into final fantasy 4 final fantasy 4 those developers must be fucking stoked at how many people were had been meaning to play this game and saw this quarantine and were like i guess now's the time i so my history with it was um about mm, a year or two ago i had dabbled with final fantasy 14 like i think i got a character up to like level 20 something um but this it didn't hit me it didn't like work for me it wasn't until mm-hmm. i decided like you know this lockdown started happening and i was like well okay i see a bunch of my friends are playing final fantasy 14 it seems interesting i've never really gotten into mmos before i thought you know what why not let me resub for a month and let me like see how it goes um and now i am deep into i think i'm about to beat the first expansion heaven sward like Mm -hmm. i all right, beating the base game of Heaven Sword, there were additional patches. Like I'm about to get the Stormblood. Um, I have been cruising through the game um, to the point where actually recently I decided to pump the brakes on it a little bit by um, t- 
taking on a second character class. Um, because the way the quests are structured is that you should have you need to have certain classes at certain levels in order to advance the story. Um, so I decided to I first started with a paladin, um, and then I transitioned. My main class now is red mage. Um, and I don't know, it's just a cool game. It's just there's so much to do and so much to experience, and the story is like. The story gets real good. It takes a real long time for the story to get real good, though. Yeah. Yeah, it is a it is a slow burn, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I ended up coming back to it recently, too. Um, I had seen the credits roll on A Realm Reborn, like, uh, sometime last year. And seeing that... Uh, seeing some of my friends get into it, and also... Just the fact that uh, around the time of last month, Square Enix did a gigantic sale on 14 of all the expansions. Uh, in case people hadn't uh, gotten the expansions before. And um, yeah, it turns out uh, I still had a bit of slog through me. Just in terms of the bit between A Realm Reborn's ending and then the beginning to Heavensward is rough going just because it has a bunch of really boring quests, but uh, there's a point where eventually you get to a bunch of cutscenes and shit starts happening. And shit pops off. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's like, I didn't know that an MMO could do this. I didn't know that an MMO could be this cinematic and have such an intense story like this. And get, when I eventually got into Heavensward... It, there was just an immediate bump in quality that was like, oh, okay, this is all awesome. I even got to the point where I can fly around a few areas now, and that's a lot of fun. Yeah. So one thing, what I noticed was, so Final Fantasy XIV, A Realm Reborn, is a pretty standard Final Fantasy story. You're going around collecting crystals, you're becoming the warrior of light and savior of the land from an evil empire, right? And it's mm-hmm. like Final Fantasy trades in that story a lot. Um, heck, that's basically the plot of the first game is collecting crystals and taking down an evil empire. And the guy who will make you all fall down. Yes. <laughs> um, so when you get the Heaven Sword, it suddenly becomes like a much more personal story. Um Basically, you get to a new area, um, Ishgard, and you find out that they have been having a war with dragons for, like, the past, like, millennia. And it becomes, like, a much more personal story about, like, betrayal and hurt feelings and really pissed off dragons. And a lot of really well-meaning people trying their best to make do with a bad situation and fucking up including yourself like the warrior of light is not infallible and like it starts like the story starts examining itself in interesting ways i think Mm -hmm. i definitely think especially i mean uh, you know they get better and better at it but the initial post um post realm reborn as you say, I think A Realm Reborn, that that base game, is pretty much just the Final Fantasy story they tell over and over. Um, and honestly, not even told very well. Um, but 
at, once they get into the the after patches, they start to be like, well, hang on. So you did the thing. You had you did the the JRPG thing. You killed you killed the big fascist and you stopped the empire. And it's sort of like that doesn't really fix anything. <laughs> yeah, it's like it starts being a lot more interested in like the like the little ramifications of your actions and also like so for realm reborn like one of the main plot lines is like there are these beastmen tribes who are summoning primals in order to like at first it's framed as like oh they're just they're just you know evil or insane or something like that and they're just summoning these gods to you know because you know oh they're kobolds or goblins or wing winged like beast people like there's not they're not given like any sort of pathos but then in later patches you actually talk to members of those factions and you start learning like oh this was a this was self-defense for them this was like like they are trying to fight against oppression Mm -hmm. and you are the oppressor yeah there's definitely an angle to which i still think they have kind of like they still have this whole like i mean there are things that final fantasy 14 does that i still think are are some colonialist bullshit right like it's still they yes. they still are the quote unquote beast tribes they still do have the the harder difficulty versions of dungeons called savage it's not great mm-hmm. but there is increasing awareness of the idea of like you know like <laughs> the um the mitchell web web uh like nazi sketch are we the baddies <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's like i like that the so you get to know like the scions of the seventh dawn um and originally they're just like cast as like they are your cast of to well-to-do like heroes and then the story starts examining them as well. And I really appreciate that. And I think what I've realized over the course of playing Final Fantasy XIV is that it has it is doing what I wished um MMOs like kinda did, which was focus on its story mm-hmm. and how you interacted with that story. Like I am fascinated by where the story is going and where it's gonna go next. Yeah. Uh, Thancred's oh. a fuckboy. Thancred is a fuckboy. <laughs> Alphanode's a tool. Alphanode is a tool. Alize is great. Yastola is great. Urianche is a bit of a creep. Urianche is... I have kind of... I, I have so many mixed feelings on Urianche. I think Urianche, like... Urianje got caught up in a bad crowd when he was young, and he has a lot of creep habits, but is not himself a creep. Is my theory. That's probably a good way of looking at it. Also, just in terms of non-story stuff, um, Final Fantasy XIV is a great social game, just in terms of there's always something to do, and always something that someone else hasn't done, just because it's such a, such a massive game at this point, and... Uh, mm-hmm. Really putting the massive and massively multiplayer online, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I certainly appreciate that they have built, and I don't know how other MMOs handle this, but they have built in systems that allow more experienced players to really help out, like newer players. Like 
I it has been a godsend to be able to like play with our little group and just like have you know you and uh, others like have so much experience with the game and still be able to do the content with me and I we're all having as much fun as you know you did like when you started it like it's very Mm -hmm. repeatable they went out of their way to make sure that if this is your first MMO, that's not a problem. Like, they have a hall of newcomer situations where they teach you what a tank is and what DPS means and how to perform those roles. And uh, it encourages you to just go off and try things. You can you can pretty much take on any class as long as you meet the level requirements for whenever they unlocked. But uh, yeah, it's a situation where... They encourage you to just try a bunch of stuff out, see what sticks, and you can either see all of it to completion, or you could just stick with what you like and go through the story and side quest stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I will knock the game for, though, um, is I think the game does a bad job of... I mean, first of all, as we mentioned, the first 50 levels of the game are pretty boring. And that's a lot of game to ask yep. people to go through. Oh, yeah. Return to the Waking Uh, Sands. Yeah, yeah. Apparently they're going to work on that, but I don't think it's going to fix everything. I think it'll just make it slightly better, is my suspicion. Right. Um, And the other thing is, um, I think the game's combat design is kind of all over the place. There are things, like, there are classes and things about it that are great, right? Like, you're playing Red Mage. I think Red Mage is really cool. Red Mage is Um, so fun because, so briefly red mage basically is you have to balance the casting of black and white magic to eventually fill this meter and once the meter gets filled you get these cool melee combos that you get to execute and they always look good and snappy Mm -hmm. and i also think that uh the other classes they've added since then i think samurai is pretty fun um i think uh dancer is enjoyable um but the classes they added in heaven's word and the classes they have in the base game are more of a of a more hit and miss. Um, and especially, I will say, um, as a person, I have I talked to some people and this is like I feel like people are divided basically on the along the lines of whether or not this is their first MMO. Mm-hmm. Um, because if this is your first MMO and then, you know, I'm generalizing here, but for people who for whom this is their first MMO, they play healers. And they're like, this is fun. This is kind of a low-stress class. I appreciate this. And then anyone who's ever played a different MMO, like, seriously before, is like, why is healing so boring and such dog shit? That's fair. It's Um, unfathomably boring. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I haven't gotten into any of the healer classes, so I can't exactly comment. But I mean, well, I mean, so I think tanks are subject to this to a lesser extent, but it is the case where like even up to level 80, like a gunbreaker, the the tank class that I play the most of, uh, your combo is one, two, three, and then you, you get ammo from that that you spend on a different like one, two, three, basically. And like, it is pretty, you know, the complexity comes from like the mechanics of like a particular encounter, but like in your average fight, it is really brainless. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't say that Dragoon is the most uh, 
mentally taxing uh, class either. Like, I have gotten to the point where I can un I can basically turn on my dragon spirit mode, and uh, that does give me a few more options or things to keep in mind. But uh, overall, it's mostly doing one, two, three, maybe one, two, seven. Sometimes one, control five, three, depending on what the dragon mode does for me. But uh, mm. yeah, I, I guess it's one of those situations where I'm less. It's it's the point where the combat mechanics often fade in the background while I'm just focusing on the dance of avoiding the gigantic uh, area of effect attacks um, and attacking who I need to attack at the right time. Sure. I guess I just, uh, for me, I appreciate that simplicity because it means that I can be on a Discord call with friends and I can still do my job effectively and still crack jokes. And I think that's just, I think that's just a thing with MMOs because they're very social. Um, so, I mean, obviously, like, I don't know how complex you want it to be but i am perfectly comfortable with the level of complexity it's offering so far yeah i mean i think basically i want all classes to be about the level of complexity of red mage i think red mage and samurai hit a real sweet spot where and, and i can even do you know slightly less i think like dancer is less complex but still enjoyable but like you can hit a I, I I would almost call it Zen state, but that sounds too flattering. <laughs> Where like you can you can be playing a chill state. Well, I mean, you can hit a state while playing like some of the tanks where you forget what you're doing because it's so mindless. And I I think that's a bit of a bummer. Well, I imagine that's what for the that's what the really difficult like raids and stuff is for sure but i don't always want to have to like i don't always want to have to do the hardest content in the game in order to feel engaged with the game fair enough for sure but you know a little little complaint i overall like the game a lot um and you know especially with he i mean like tanking i only i mostly complain about because i'm already complaining about healing and i think i think the team knows that healing is in a really bad place so they'll they'll hopefully figure it out at some point it is kind of discouraging that they knew it was in a bad place and then they're really shadow bringers and they made everything worse um so <laughs> <laughs> as far as healers go anyway obviously i don't think shadow bringers is a bad expansion but the things they did to healers are mostly shit that's a shame yeah though the, the lily stuff for white mage is cool but oh my god don't play an astrologian these days Uh, your move, I guess. I don't know. I was trying to make a Yu-Gi-Oh joke, but I couldn't come up with one. I apologize. I'll leave now. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, cl close the door. Okay. Thank you. Uh, I guess if I was going to talk about one other thing, um, which I hesitate to even do. Uh oh. But I have been playing some Persona 5 Royal. Go on. <laughs> um, 
and I'm having a good time, and it's making me really curious. The thing I want to focus on is sort of this is the first persona, the first P-team project without Hashimoto, without the dirtbag. Um, not to say that there can't be multiple dirtbags and probably are multiple dirtbags on that team, right? Right. Is it really the first if it's uh, a, it's if it's basically an add-on to the game that he made? Well, we're going to talk about that, aren't we, Jennifer? <laughs> I That's so. the conversation we're having right now. <laughs> well, you said it was the first game without him in the director's chair, so I thought that implied right. something different. Well, the additions, I think, are significant, and that's what I was going to talk about. If you don't want me to, I can stop. No, Jen. no, go ahead. I'm sorry stop. if I'm, I'm stepping on you. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> um, so... It's interesting, like, obviously there are there are changes they didn't make that they should have. Um, I think the the way they handle the scene that is originally queer, the like, that is originally queerphobic and now is a different kind of queerphobic is, uh, is a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and also that's mostly the localization in the Japanese. I don't think that scene really changed at all. Um, so that's not great. But I'm, I'm more interested in some of the stuff they're doing with, like, new narrative elements. Um... And I guess the examples, like one of the biggest examples I'll give is there's a new social link. There's a new character that gets introduced after the first dungeon, and he's the school psychologist. Okay. Um, because the for anyone who doesn't know Persona 5 or who just needs a refresher, um, the first dungeon is based on a, a school gym teacher who is physically and sexually abusing students. And you you do your phantom thief thing. You get him to convince his to confess to his crimes, and it's a big fuss in the media. And he you know obviously steps down and goes to jail. Um, and in the original game, it's sort of like there's a bunch of hubbub of of the school being like, "Wow, this looks really bad." And then sort of like we need to find out who's who's at the bottom of this. And then they just sort of move on. Um. And in Persona Five Royal, they don't do that. In Persona Five Royal. The school is like, I mean, that, that stuff still happens, but also the school is like, yikes, this is really bad for our public image. We're going to hire, uh, basically, a psychologist, a social worker to talk to students who were affected and give them psychological counseling for their trauma. Um, and part of what I think makes this interesting is the game is not cynical about this. This is very much a game about, like, man-fuck adults, right? In general. But, you know, even in the original, there are, like, a lot of your social links are adults that are okay. Mm. Uh-huh. Um, and this therapist is a really good dude. And, like, you and all the party members are like, okay, like, we are specifically required to go talk to this therapist, and we don't want to, and it's shitty of the school to demand that we do this. And the therapist is like, listen, I know that this is weird for you, and I know you don't necessarily want to be here. We can talk about whatever you want. You can come when you want. You don't have to come, you know, anytime. And he's, like, extremely chill, and you become, like, friends with him. And it's interesting how it feels like way more than the original Persona 5. It's interested in sort of, like, the psychological, like, trauma left over from this, where it's not just like, okay, you beat the dungeon. Let's go. Um, It's like, no, you still have some shit to work through, and that's real, and you should seek professional help. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and they're going to do more with that character, I know. Um, but there's also, like, other new stuff. Um, like, the, one of the other major new characters is uh, Kasumi, 
who is a um like she's you're in this game you're a second year student and most of your party is second years there's a third year that joins your party um and kasumi is a first year transfer student she transfers the same day as you and she is like a like you know national class gymnast and honor student um and at first she honestly comes across kind of badly because like oh and here's someone's fucking like mary sue right um but what it become what the story becomes about and i haven't finished the game and i'm not going to i have been spoiled a little bit on her arc i'm not going to make use of any of that knowledge in this conversation um i'll only talk about what i've seen but as far as i've seen her story is kind of about how um she is this honor student and she basically like she is very skilled she is very smart and that has become sort of like social momentum for her that she can't escape right where like oh she did really well on this you know this like gym gymnastics contest and now she has to keep working so hard at gymnastics because if she falters everyone will criticize her and she got these great grades and now school has gotten harder and she has more responsibilities but she has to spend all her time studying because of her grades start to drop even if they just drop so that she's just like a good student instead of being a great student suddenly she's in the shit list yeah, it's, that sounds like a gifted student sort of story, getting into how, like, getting, having those expectations set for you um, ends up hurting you in the long run. And between these two characters, it really just feels, like, more thoughtful about the experience of these characters in a way that the original game wasn't. Um, there's also just little scenes that flesh things out. Like, one of the examples I think is really striking is the second dungeon of the game um, so again, the premise of Persona 5 is that you are using your power to uh, invade like the their people's like unconscious worlds, their 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 um their, their hearts, yeah, their palaces. Um, and it, they only have a palace if they're a bad person, basically. Um, and then you go in there and you do some stuff to force them to have like a, an attack of conscience and change their ways. Um, and the second dungeon is about a famous artist. Um, and in the original game, you're like, I think this guy is uh, like plagiarizing his art and ripping off his students. And you go to his current student, Yusuke, and Yusuke's like, that's a load of shit. How dare you? Fuck off. Um, and your party goes, I mean, he said that, but I bet he's still doing it. And you go, f you go forward, right? Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. And it's a little uncomfortable, and it's not uncomfortable in a way that they're doing anything with, because it's not like then the reveal is like, oh, you were, you were, like, you went through for it and you shouldn't have. You're just portrayed as making the right decision, even though you are just deciding someone's evil when everyone around them is saying they're not. Right. Um, in Persona 5 Royal, there's a specific part where after that you're like, well, shit, I don't know what we should do. And you sort of, like, you use your your contacts to reach out and get in contact with a former student of this guy who confirms the plagiarism and also says, like, oh, yeah, and I'm in touch with Yusuke, with this current student, and he has confessed to me that he feels terrible about all this, but he feels indebted to this guy, so he's not going to tell a bunch of strangers that. And so, like, the game adds an extra little bit, like, another, like, five minutes that still feels very natural to be, like, but here, let's make it justified that you're going to go mind control someone, right? Like, thank you for a little bit of justification. <laughs> Just a little wee bit. Um, 
so in general, I, I there are places I wish it went further, but I'm really encouraged. I'm surprised by how much they've been changing from what you've been talking about. Like, uh, from what I expected, and also just from the experience of playing something like Persona 4 Golden, I expected it to be a situation where they'd re-record some of the lines, they would uh, add a bunch to the ending, and uh, maybe add a new character or two here and there. But it sounds like they did a lot of work to overhaul this. Yeah, I was initially I was initially one of the people that was really mad that this wasn't just like a, a download, right? Like mm-hmm. in the year of my dude 2020, they want you to buy a whole new retail copy. Um, but this is far more expansive and thorough than any any updated version they've ever done. I still think they probably could have done it as DLC or something, but like they did enough work that I don't feel ripped off or anything. Yeah, and cool. I'm still I'm still personally in a position where I don't feel comfortable buying another Atlas game again, even if they're turning some of these bits around. Like, they've made enough games at this point where they talk about how much they hate queer people that it's like, well, yeah, at this point I kind of get it, and I don't really want to continue buying your games if you're going to continue to shit-talk people like me. But uh, For sure. Yeah, I I don't begrudge anyone who decides that they want to play this, because, like, I loved and played persona 4 golden quite a bit and even though i came out of persona 5 thinking it was kind of a shit game there were some bits that i liked a lot particularly the characters like uh especially Fataba. yeah i i think um god i'm really excited to get to Fataba. Fataba is for for anyone who doesn't know me Fataba is a character that resonated with me a lot um I think that the, the way I think about this stuff is I um, I wasn't intending to buy it and I caved and did so. Um, and I see part of my role here as being like, I'm, I'm a reporter from the front, right? I'm not going into this war zone and saying, and you should come to this war zone. But, you know, I'll send you some news from it and it's interesting. That's a fair way of looking at it, yeah. Yeah. As far as I know, you still can't kiss Yusuke, so... Uh, no, you cannot kiss Yusuke. <sighs> Damn. You <Yeah>. can't kiss... <laughs> they, they did not make the main character by. Still straight. Still still, still a cishet boy. Which is still the most bullshit thing. I mean, look at him. Look at Joker and tell me he's a straight dude. <laughs> the problem is he has so many frames where he's adjusting his glasses... Where I would extremely believe that he's an um actually cishet boy. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Just. <laughs> yeah. No, I get it. I would ask you later on what you think about the new catchy content, but I know you already hated him. So. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess part of my problem with a catchy, especially in the original is the way it feels very rushed that they're just like they he is a uh a sociopathic piece of garbage for the entire game he is you know like should i give us i guess spoiler warning for persona 5 if you know what you're getting into what the fuck are you listening to us for um (laughs) and uh he's he's like he is manipulating people to commit suicide for political ends so that he can try to kill his dad and he is toxic he is a liar he is abusive um and 
then there's a part at the end where he is like, I just wanted to be love. And everyone's like, oh, God, you were such a good dude. And it's like, you can't just that's not how this works. You did not have a redemptive arc. You had a one moment where you didn't say the shittiest thing you could think of. That's not a redemptive arc. <laughs> um, and if they flesh that out more and actually like you could take that character and make him something I like. I just think they did not do the work. And I partially resent the fact that I was expected to like him. That's fair, yeah. I do think it's cute that he that he's he's so deluded that his weapon is a lightsaber. <laughs> that is pretty good. He does get one of the coolest uh, um, phantom detective costumes with the whole like it's it's like a band outfit with a bird mask. Aside from the weird, shitty lightsaber toy that he uses, it's a good look. I I believe, um, and this is another Persona 5 spoiler, um, I have been led to believe that, based on Social Link stuff, you can get him in his black mask form. Cool. So, that's interesting. Uh, we'll, we'll see where that goes. Right now, I'm mostly just, uh, you know... Getting through, getting through the game. I think I am in between the third and fourth dungeons right now. Um, and I cooled a little bit because I think the first and second dungeons, they made a lot of like story and structure changes that I thought were really interesting. And the third dungeon was basically just the exact same dungeon. They changed very, very little, and I was disappointed. Which one is the third one again? That's the one with the, um, the Yakuza boss. Okay. The bank. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So. That one is that one is is very very little change to that one at least as far as I could remember, and I don't think that is a is a necessarily a dungeon that has a lot of problems. But part of what's been interesting to me is seeing how they change things, and when they don't, it's like okay, well, I've already played this. <laughs> yeah, hopefully they they've significantly changed the uh, Egyptian pyramid and the cruise ship because those are the worst fucking dungeons I've ever played. I don't think the pyramid's that bad, but I understand. The cruise ship is... The cruise ship better be very, very different. The cruise ship is dog shit. <laughs> or maybe I should say mouse shit, given... <sighs> <laughs> you turn into a mouse, that was the joke. Yep. Turn into yep. a mouse. Turn into a mouse. Mm -hmm. Um... But yeah, um, I have been I have been playing other stuff a little bit here and there, but I will definitely I definitely want to play more of that. I want to see more and I want to see especially because um, I, I want to talk around the spoilers that I know um, the end of the game is different and it's different in a way where there's a extra semester. And it plays a lot with some of the ideas of. So the idea of the palaces is that people are using like it's it's their their cognition being twisted for like selfish means, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the third semester is about someone who basically has a palace where cognition where they're trying to do something nice and it gets twisted the wrong way. Interesting. Yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to hearing what you think about that when you get to that part. Yeah. So well, get you'll hear back from me when I when I get there. But in the meantime, um, also some of the gameplay additions are just fun. It's it's extremely busted now. The game is just like it's not hard at all anymore. 
Um, is it more busted than in the original, like, Persona 5? Because I remember getting a Persona that basically, like, during the Pyramid Dungeon, like, I managed to get a Persona that was immune to pretty much all types of damage. Well, that's always, from from at least Persona 4, I didn't mess around that much in, in 3. I was too stupid of a useless piece of shit, garbage, dipshit kid. <laughs> to understand but you've always been able to if you did your fusing right make something completely busted right mm-hmm. um and persona 4 it was pretty easy early on to get a persona that had a victory cry which fully restill refilled your hp and sp after every fight um which broke the game pretty hard um but they took like first of all they made a few changes where like one um in persona 5 base um your guns are like have ammo based on runs right like Mm -hmm. you go into a dungeon and then when you use up your ammo you don't have any till you leave and come back again um in this your ammo is per battle oh so it's it makes it this tiered system where your resources are like here are attacks they're unlimited here are ranged attacks they are limited per fight and here's sp it's limited per run that's Um, cool and then there's other stuff where, like, I mean, just a simple thing where it's like, oh, you've got new social links and they have to give you new stuff, right? So, like, the gymnast gives you various acrobatic things where, like, uh, there's a there's a chance where if you get ambushed, you just won't be ambushed. You'll just, like, somersault out of the way <laughs> and get the initiative. Or the psychologist taught me to really focus. And so sometimes I start uh, fights already having mind charge cast on me. Or having buffs cast on me. Um, and also there are new, like, I forget what they call them. They're like special, like, dangerous persona, which are explosive barrels. It's like a regular enemy, but they're, they're like shaded all purple. And if you attack them with not their weakness, they immediately counterattack. But if you kill them, they explode and hit the other enemies. Hmm. <laughs> It's weird. It's very weird. Is there any good new music? Uh, the new, um, so like Persona 4 Golden, they did the thing where now there is a special, um, theme for when you have First Strike, um, called Takeover, which is solid. It's a good song. Um, I don't think it's, 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 I don't think it's as good as, like, Make History was. Make History was fantastic. Um, Make History. Make History and Mass Destruction are still some of the best tracks that they've put out. As far as other songs, I don't think I've heard... I don't can't think of any that have, have stood out to me yet, but, you know, I haven't gotten into that much of the new stuff yet. I'm sure, like, the new semester will have new stuff. I'm sure there'll be some, like, character themes for when Kasumi gets her persona, which is... That's the other thing that they do with Kasumi that's good. I haven't gotten there, but I know how she's framed, which is per- Kasumi gets her persona but doesn't join the Phantom Thieves. Because, in again, in base Persona 5, it's like, okay, there are people who have Personas who, who are good, and they become Phantom Thieves. And there are people who get Personas, and they're bad, and they're the villains. Um, and with Kasumi, what they do is, hey, what if a person got the power to be a Persona user, wasn't a piece of shit, but then also said, hey, what if we didn't invade people's minds because that's fucked up? Which is a valuable perspective. Totally. So, uh, yeah, 
I I am finding it really fascinating. That's good. Like I originally thought P5R was just going to be a golden situation where they just, you know, put a fresh coat of paint on it and added like some, you know, superficially new things, but it seems like they've done a lot, not to the extent of like P3P where they added a whole new playable character. Mm-hmm. Um but still sounds pretty good. I think it may be, like, in its own way, it may be a more significant addition than P3P. Okay. Because P3P did definitely made a difference, but also, like, the beats mostly played out the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so the areas where they didn't were so good. I've, I'm sure I've talked about that on this podcast before. It's one of my favorite examples is the different characterization of those two characters. But... So let's not go through that again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, does anybody else have anything else they want to hit on? Any last last hurrahs from the video game world? Uh, just two quick things uh, since we've been running for a little bit. Uh, just things that I've been getting into that I haven't gone in fully enough that I'm comfortable talking about them at length. But uh, I've been playing Gears Tactics. It is a fantastic uh, take on that sort of XCOM formula that uh, does a great job of balancing both uh, Gears of War and a strategy game. Just like uh, one of the biggest changes that makes such a big difference is when you do one of the execution moves that you see in all the Gears of War games, every other teammate gets an extra turn. So you can set up this chain. Yeah, so you can set up this chain of characters doing executions and then popping the next person, getting them to a point where they can be executed. And oh, come on! <laughs> it has this excellent forward momentum that uh, feels great, and it's just impressive how they've managed to make a completely different genre still feel like Gears of War. And, All right. uh... Yeah, the other one is Jedi Fallen Order. I've gotten a few hours into that, and I know you weren't a big fan of it, Six, but uh, I'm like five hours in, and I'm very much enjoying myself. It feels like the first Soul-style game that I'll actually finish. I just really like the way that they handle the environments, uh, returning to various places after you complete what you need to, and... There's just a nice sense of exploration, and it feels really good to just deflect a lightsaber. I mean, deflect a blaster beam at a stormtrooper and one shotting them in the head with that. <laughs> I will also note incredibly quickly I will talk about Receiver 2 at some point in the future. But I really, I'm I'm going to have a lot to say, and it's going to be a loaded conversation, so I really need to get my ducks in a row. Yeah, for sure. Loaded conversation because it's about guns. Ha ha. No, ha, it's ha, actually going to be about mental illness and suicide idolation and it's fucked up. <laughs> what about you, Kyria? Anything else you want to tease? Um, Not really. Uh, my main games have been, you know, Animal Crossing and Final Fantasy fourteen and um, a little bit of Chimera Squad. So if anything else pops up, I'll definitely bring it up but i don't know maybe maybe i got some stuff in the future oh, or man. maybe i don't oh. who knows oh the tease oh 
Well, Kyrie, if people wanted to find out what else you, you might have going on in the future, where do you think they would want to find you on the internet? They can regrettably follow me on Kyrie, uh, Twitter, Kyrie A page at twitter.com. I don't know why I said that. I apologize. I do fine. <laughs> You're always chiding me for dismissing myself and then you do it. And Jen, where can people find you? Not like anyone cares. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at JBU3 on Twitter. Most of my stuff is on scanlinemedia.com or patreon.com slash scanlinemedia. I also host a visual novel slash adventure slash story game podcast, uh, Novel Not New, a true end podcast, which you can find at readinggames.online. How about you, yeah. Six? Okay. <laughs> I, I, I guess I I guess the tone I ended the last sentence with was leading in a little bit. Um, yeah, it's it sounded like it sounded like you had you had something for us. Um, I, I, but I, I guess I could also just add on. Next time we're playing The Last Express for that podcast, and that seems like a pretty cool game. So be sure to play along and listen to that. Yeah, uh, looking forward to that for sure. Uh, so I am. Six Detmar. You can find me on Twitter at Six Detmar. S I X D E T T M A R. Uh, pin tweet there. will tell you everything that I do, but it's mostly the stuff you've already heard. Scanlinemedia.com, Patreon.com, slash Scanlinemedia. Uh, if you want to learn about anything else, too bad. No. Um, <laughs> uh, if you want to learn about anything else, <laughs> I guess uh, I don't know. Is there anything special to promote? Uh... I don't know when this is going up next week, but I don't know exactly when. So actually, I guess there is nothing to promote. Anyway, <laughs> this is all a waste of time. <laughs> uh, until next time, folks. Peace out. Later. Bye.